So what I want to do is jump in and just think about Pentecost. You know, I guess the first question is, what does Pentecost mean to most people? Now, I grew up not in a Sabbath-keeping church. It was a traditional Sunday-keeping church. We didn't keep any of the holy days. We didn't keep the Passover. We didn't keep the Feast of, uh, of uh, Unleavened Bread or the Feast of Tabernacles. But we did observe Pentecost. In fact, I think most traditional Christians observe Pentecost. The 50 days after, I think they say after Easter, <laughs> but it's after the Sabbath and Passover. But when I grew up, Pentecost was considered the birthday of the church. That's what I was told. It was the birthday of the church. And then, of course, you can read Acts chapter 2. It's when Christians received God's Holy Spirit. But there's more meaning to it, Pentecost. And I'd like to take a little bit more time as we, in God's church, understand that it's connected to a whole Holy Day season, a whole system of Holy Days that really reveal God's plan of what He's actually doing here. I remember watching a movie. I don't know if you remember the movie Star Wars, the first movie with Christopher Reeves. Um, Who hasn't seen that movie, Star Wars? Everyone's seen it. All right. Jason hasn't seen it. Well, we'll have to watch it, Jason. But there was a scene that stuck in my mind. It was when he went up to the North Pole and he found that little crystal and he stuck the crystal in. And then Jarrell, his dad, started teaching him all these things. And uh, Jarrell said, what's the meaning of life? It was like one of these profound questions. And he wanted to explore this with him. What's the meaning of life? Well, brethren, isn't it wonderful that when you know the holy days, you understand God's plan, he reveals to us the answer to that question. It's so elusive to all the philosophers throughout history. Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? Well, it might sound kind of arrogant to say this, but... Thank God, I, I believe God's opened my mind and hopefully yours through the holy days. By observing these holy, day, holy days, he tells us the meaning of life, why we're here. So, you know, I think about the holy days and I think about Passover or Pentecost. And I guess one of the things that I used to believe is that Pentecost was a separate holy day from Passover. And I don't know if this is the doctrine of the Church of God International, so I'm just giving you this disclaimer. I'll just share with you my personal belief, and if you disagree, I'm happy to hear your disagreement, and maybe I can learn something from you. But I actually see Pentecost as connected to Passover, as one long, connected holy day. It's the holy day season from Passover all the way to Pentecost. In my mind... I see them all as one holy day. Now maybe, you know, to the letter of the law it's different, but let me explain. So um, we know that at Passover, there's a wave sheaf offering. Jesus Christ not only dies and pays for our sins, but there's also an offering made where that wave sheaf is presented to the Father. We'll get into that a little bit later if I have time. But that wave sheaf, Chief represents Jesus Christ ascending into heaven. And then Pentecost in the Old Testament was actually called the Feast of Weeks. 
one of the names of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Well, it's weeks, it's not a day. It's the Feast of Weeks. The weeks between Passover and today, 50 days from that Sabbath. It's the whole time, each of those weeks, 50 days, those seven weeks plus one day is the whole Feast of Weeks. That's a whole Holy Day series of days, I guess, if you want to call it. That's holy time, maybe is a better way to say it. It's the Feast of Weeks, and there's meaning in that. It's also called the Feast of First Fruits. So there's a lot of meaning in this day, brethren. It connects back to Passover. And but one of the things that I want to go to, we'll start here. Let's talk about this birthday of the church. And I thought um, this was kind of interesting as I look back in the Old Testament. Let's go back to Exodus, and we'll start reading about what happened on or about this day all the way back with the ancient Israelites after they left Egypt, after God led them out of Egypt, after that first Passover. So we'll start back here in Exodus chapter 19. You know, most of the time we go and read chapter 20 because that's where God gives the Ten Commandments, but I find chapter 19 fascinating. So after God led the Egyptians, or sorry, led the Israelites out of Egypt, and he protected them and led them out into the desert for 40 days. Now he's bringing them to a place where he's going to interact with them in a special way, brother. And here in verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 1, we'll just go ahead and start reading. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So now they're at Mount Sinai. And most of the Bible commentators would agree that this is about 10 days before. It's about 40 days. They've been in the desert. 40 days. About 10 days before Pentecost or the Feast of First Fruits. It says, For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, This shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. So to me, brethren, that's profound, that God, through his power and his might and his will, protected them, bare them, and brought them to him. He's bringing them to himself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. So I always think it's pretty powerful when God uses these if statements. If you will do this. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. It implies that if they don't do it, that they won't be that peculiar treasure, brethren. 
God holds people accountable. There's a decision that they have to make, something that we can learn from. So this first covenant, God says, If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were to be the model nation to show the rest of the world, brethren, how God wanted us as human beings to live. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, this is the first time we have an example of what the people now have replied, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So it seems now, brethren, that there is an agreement. God said he would provide them the ability to be kings and priests, a holy nation, a peculiar treasure, if they kept the commandments, and they said, we'll do it. So they agreed. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. I guess God knows that we're all skeptics, and we have to see or hear with our own eyes and ears before we really believe. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And you shall set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. So that whole mountain was going to be basically uh, sanctified, set apart from the people, and the people were to be sanctified from it. They weren't to go up on it, onto it. There shall not an, an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come unto the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the Lord, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. So, brethren, this was a very, very special time. They took it very seriously. God certainly took it seriously. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. God was trying to make a statement here. Try to imagine that, brethren. Imagine all the miracles that God did bringing you out of Egypt. Everything that you saw in Egypt and now you're standing before this mountain and God's saying that there's going to be, He's going to come down on it on a, as a cloud and then there's thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud. It actually happens. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. So now God's voice sounds like a trumpet. So that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now, I remember watching that movie, The Ten Commandments, by Cecil B. DeMille or whatever. Now, I didn't see any of this happen. 
you know, it's just you saw like a little bit of a cloud, but that was it. And then the people did their thing and Moses was up there talking to God. But this, there was some things happened that happened a little bit differently. We'll keep reading. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke therefore ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. I can only imagine it would be like a volcano erupting. There's a big news story now in Hawaii. You saw the, I don't know if you've seen it, the picture of this, I guess, uh, ash going up 30,000 feet into the air. I picture that, the power. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, so here, this is God's voice. The people are hearing this, brethren. Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon the Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the mount of the mount, or the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. So don't tell them not to come up and take a look. And, the, and let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mount, Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and you shall come up, and you and Aaron with you. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And God spake all these words. So, As I read this, brethren, I, I hear God saying that he's speaking these words as a sound of a trumpet, that the people couldn't see him, but certainly could hear him. And God gave the Ten Commandments. Now, this was before Moses came down with the stone tablets and everything else. So God is now on the top of the mountain. He's come and he's made his presence there with the people. You know, if I think about the timing of when this happened, as I mentioned earlier, most of the Bible commentators believe that this actually happened on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after that Sabbath, after the Passover. I'm going to read this from Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary. It says about the arrival at Sinai, chapter 19. In the third month, according to Jewish usage, the first day of that month, same day, it is added to mark the time more explicitly, that is, 45 days after Egypt, one day spent on the mount, one returning the people's answer, three days of preparation, making the whole time 50 days from the first Passover to the promulgation of the law. Hence the Feast of Pentecost, or First Fruits. That is, the 50th day was the inauguration of the Old Testament church. So we say, you know, I always think of the birthday of the church, I think of Acts chapter 2. But if you look at this, what did we just read in chapter 19? This was the first example of the covenant. 
where God said, if you do this, then I will do this. And the people said, we will do it. And then God gave them his commandments. He gave them the details of what they were to do. He said, you follow my commandments and I will make you a nation of kings and priests. So it was basically the birthday of the Old Testament church. This whole example. We can keep reading, brethren. You can read in chapter 20 that God gave the Ten Commandments to them. Exodus chapter 20, verses 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. So he says he's talking with the people. He's there together with them. He's making his abode with them personally. This isn't some theoretical thing, brethren. There was thundering and lightning, a cloud, sound of a trumpet. The people could hear the voice of God giving them these instructions and commandments. We can continue to read through chapter 21, chapter 22, 23. God continues to give even more details of what he expects from them. Laws concerning theft, property damage, concerning immorality, laws concerning the Sabbaths and the feasts in chapter 23. Chapter 24, let's turn over there very briefly. I think this is pretty interesting in chapter 24. Here God is basically going to ratify the covenant. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship you afar off. So now he's bringing seventy plus other people up with him. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, And all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. That's the second time that the people gave their word to God. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar unto the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men and children of Israel which have offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings and oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood and sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said we will do. That was the third time they said it, brethren. Verse 9, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. See, I always thought that Moses was the only one that saw God. But this says that they, they saw God. Pretty interesting here. God was with them. He was together with the Israelites at that point in time. And I'm emphasizing that. I want us to understand that God was physically there with them. He came down out of heaven and abode with them and gave them his laws. 
And then verse 12, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. And this is where I was thinking back to that movie where Moses had the Ten Commandments. Another thing that I question is this doesn't say that the only thing written on the stone was just the Ten Commandments. Because if you remember, verse chapters 21, 22, 23, there was a lot more commands. So I don't really know all that God wrote on those stones, but what he did do is he wrote his law on stone tablets. And then we know the rest of the story. Moses was up there for 40 days. Verse 18, And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and get him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. And then we know that it didn't take long after the Israelites told God three times that they would keep his commandments within 40 days. When Moses didn't come back down, they had already sinned. We know the rest of that story. But brethren, it's interesting. This is certainly around the time of Pentecost. I personally, personally believe that it was the day of Pentecost when God and the nation of Israel, back in the Old Testament, made that covenant and God gave them the law. And God abode with them. He was together with them. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 2. Let's read about the birthday of the church, the New Testament church. Now what is the word testament? It's basically another word for covenant. It's a legal term, meaning a binding agreement. Binding agreement. That's the People think that the New Testament and Old Testament is just a way to describe all the chapters of the old part of the Bible and all the chapters of the new. But the word testament is basically an agreement, a legally binding agreement. So the Israelites entered a legally binding agreement with God. Back there, we just read about it. On that first, what I believe to be Pentecost. And now in Acts chapter 2, we're going to read about the birthday of the church, the new covenant or new agreement. I can find the book of Acts here in my Bible. Okay. One thing I want to share with you real briefly. So the Jews, I just, just to go back to that Old, old, um, old Testament covenant, just want to share this interesting fact. The, the Jewish word for Pentecost is Shavuot. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it properly. S-H-A-V-U-O-T. And if I look up uh, how the... Jews today look at Shavuot. It is a Jewish holiday that occurs on the sixth day of the Hebrew month of Sivan, late May or early June. Shavuot commemorates the anniversary of the day God gave the Torah or the law to Moses and to the Israelites. So that's how they view it as well. All right, let's look over here in Acts chapter 2 now. 
the New Testament, the New Covenant. Now, in chapter 1, we read... Actually, let's go back there and read this first. Let's read in chapter 1 what happens to Christ here. So this is after Jesus was resurrected and he had been meeting with them, with the, with the disciples. The former treatise I have made, O Theopolis, of all the, that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. That sounds familiar, giving commandments to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So there's forty days when Jesus was with the disciples and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father which said he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they all they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? See, the, the disciples still thought that he was going to restore the kingdom at that time. But they didn't realize that it, uh, he had a, a, a different plan. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witness unto them, unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So now the Holy Spirit, he's telling them, will come to them and dwell with them. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And again, we, sometimes I read over the scripture, brethren, but I can only imagine, try to put myself there. Here I am, talking to Jesus. And could you imagine? He's just taken up. Now, I've never seen anybody fly. But that's what's described here. He's taken up into the clouds. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, they must have been in awe. I can imagine their mouths were wide open, brethren. And behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why, you, why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So now, chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, so this ascension into heaven was ten days, brethren, before Pentecost. Now this is Pentecost. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. A rushing, mighty wind. Now in the Old Testament, 
The sound was described as a sound of a trumpet. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Now remember in the Old Testament, there was fire on the mountain. Fire is like a cloven tongue. It's like a licking flame of fire. And it sat upon each of them. So in the Old Testament there, God was on a mountain dwelling with just a few of them, but the Israelites could hear his voice. Now God is descending on each one of them individually. Maybe more personal. It's an interesting parallel that God is descending on them. There's still the sound, this rushing mighty sound and these cloven tongues Sitting on, each, sitting on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were great miracles performed there. We read about how Peter gave this sermon, a powerful sermon, revealing truth to them. And in verse 37, Now when they heard this, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here we see in this new covenant, this new testament, that men are to repent be baptized, and that they would receive the Holy Spirit, meaning God would dwell with them. So one of the things I learn about Pentecost, brethren, is simply symbolizes God dwelling with his people. God dwelling with his people. In the Old Testament, he dwelt with them physically on the top of a mountain, In the New Testament, brethren, he dwells with us through the Holy Spirit inside of us, in our hearts. Think of what that means, brethren. God's Spirit inside of you. I went out last night sitting on the patio, looking at the, it was a nice clear day, nice clear sky. And if you let your mind go a little bit, you get out of yourself, get out of your life and your busyness and everything that's going on. And just think about the fact that we're living on this ball with an atmosphere around it. It's like a little bubble, like a greenhouse, and it's safe. The God made this place for one purpose and one purpose only to have children for us that we could live here in safety, protected from the rays and the radiation of the sun and from comets and you know, the atmosphere that burns up comets before it comes and hits us. It's this great, wonderful place that God made for us. You think of God, the, the creator, the one who made the laws of physics, who took little balls of energy. I don't know where energy comes from. It comes from God. But he took little balls of energy and he spun them up with certain properties and he said that little ball of energy is called a proton and that one's called a neutron. This other little energy is called an electron. I'm going to make it like a little solar system where the electron is rotating and spinning around the neutron and proton. And they don't have any matter. 
It's just little balls of energy. But because these little balls of energy repel from these little balls of energy, they can kind of connect together, but they don't get together. They, they stay there. And when you zoom out, instead of seeing little balls of energy, you start to see that they block sunlight. They become opaque. And you can't push through them because they're connected together. You can't push through these little balls of energy. But this is, this is energy, brethren. I can prove it. Give me a match. If I catch this thing on fire, it will dissolve. It will burn up into energy. It's just a bunch of little stored energy. That's all it is. This is the mind of God. Everything that we live on, everything that we, we have, even our bodies are made of the same stuff. Little balls of energy. And yet this is dead. Something in me, God gave us. Something that animates us. The brilliance of it. Think of the mind and power that God has. And then he says, he's going to give himself, put himself, a little bit of himself inside of us and dwell with us. Think of the power, brethren. God wanted the people of Israel to hear thunderings and lightnings and a sound of a trumpet. It says that when they heard it, they trembled. That's the power, brethren, that God wants us to realize it's inside of us. That God is dwelling in each of us. Look over here, John chapter 14. Turn with me to John chapter 14. We'll break into the text in verse 12. Here's Jesus talking about this Holy Spirit. Truly, truly, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he also... Think of what Jesus did. All the miracles, the works. Not just when he was walking on this earth. Brethren, he made the universe. Not just the earth. Every star you can see when you look up. Black holes. Whatever you can imagine in space, whatever a Hubble telescope sees, Jesus made that. And greater works we can do. Talk about the power that God's given us. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may or it may abide with you forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or it sees it not, neither knows it, but you know it, for it dwells with you and shall be in you. So in the New Testament, brethren, God is dwelling with us at a different level, a different level of intimacy. First Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen. 
Let's look over here. Brethren, this is one of these scriptures that you know, I call a keep, keep us honest scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Know you not that you are the temple of God. Not that you're to be worshipped or anything. You're not a temple. As people say, my body is my temple. That's not what this is saying. It's saying that your body is not yours. If you've received God's Holy Spirit, you are literally holy. Just as God was telling the Israelites, don't come up onto this mountain. It's special. It's holy ground. Well, now, brethren, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are the temple of God. I say that this helps to keep us honest, brethren, because if God is dwelling in us, if everywhere I walk, I bring God with me because I am the temple in which God resides, what do I do when I enter into sin? Am I bringing God with me? I don't know the answer to that. Does what does God do? What does the Holy Spirit do when I knowingly go and do something wrong? The point, brethren, is when we realize what we really are and that God, the power of God, that His life, His Spirit is literally dwelling inside of us, then we have such a stronger obligation to live righteously, to keep the commandments, to honor him in our behavior and everything that we do. So brethren, the birthday of the church, Pentecost, the day when God dwelt with his people. Now, I mentioned about the wave sheaf. We'll just go and look at that a little bit. Second thing that I really take with the, with the Feast of Pentecost goes back to now that God's Spirit is dwelling with us, that that gives us freedom. Freedom and promise, brethren. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23, because I said that this day is connected to Passover. Leviticus chapter 23. Let's just read about from verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their season. And the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. On the fifteenth day of the same month it is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And the first day you shall have an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Seven days... And the seventh day is an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. So that's the days of, that's Passover and the days of unleavened bread. 
And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you be come into the land which I gave you, and shall reap the harvest thereof. So this is connecting to a harvest now. Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. So a sheaf of first fruits. And this word first first fruits here is a Hebrew word pronounced reshith. And the meaning of this Hebrew word is the first in place, time, order, and rank. It's the first. It's the highest ranking, the first in rank. It's the beginning. It's the chief. It's the first. It's the principal one. So here, this wave sheaf, the first fruits, this word, because the English has first fruits for the same two words I'm going to be talking about, but this one, reshith, is the first, it's the chief, the principal one. And he shall wave. You can see there's another scripture you could reference, Exodus chapter, when was that? Exodus chapter 9, I believe. It talks about the month of Abib, or early. It means green ears are not ripe, meaning that the barley was green. It wasn't ripe yet. You can reference Exodus chapter 9, verse 31. If you want to look it up, look at, it, look at what it means in terms of, the, of Strong's Concordance. In the ear, meaning green and young. So here, this first fruits, this wave sheaf, was green. It was early or young. It wasn't ripe. And interesting, I think, of Jesus dying at 33 years old. Think of the term the ripe old age when you get a bit older. He was a young person. In his prime of his life. It says, And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. So this sheaf makes you acceptable. It's going to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. So the the day after the Sabbath within that Passover season is when this wave sheaf occurs. So we connect back to this wave sheaf offering. Now turn with me over to Colossians chapter 1. Just to show us that this wave sheaf really represents Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. Break in in verse 12. giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. I think of delivering the Israelites out of the darkness of Egypt, delivering us from the darkness of death, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption, Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, the principal one, the chief, the firstborn. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible 
and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So this is certainly talking about Christ as the principal or chief or first. Turn with me back to... We read in Acts chapter 1 about how Jesus was resurrected and then he ascended into heaven. He was the first human being to ever do that, to ascend to the heaven. So brethren, he is that first. He is the first fruit. Jesus Christ is the first fruit. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Break into the text here in verse 12. Here was a question about the resurrection of the dead, brethren. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So I guess there was a question. Some people were arguing about whether there really was a resurrection or not. Maybe some people still believed in an immortal soul that they instantly went to heaven and there was no resurrection. Well, the Apostle Paul helps to clarify this. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. See, he's saying that this is true because Christ was dead and then resurrected. And he's considered the first fruits, that early green ear of that early harvest. And if Christ be not risen, then is your preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that he, if the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. In other words, those that are dead in Christ. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So we, our hope is in our next life, brethren, after we're raised, after the resurrection. But now is Christ risen from the dead. So he's stating, now, it's true, but Christ did raise from the dead. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, so Christ is the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Those that are Christ's at his coming, part of that first harvest. And brethren, we can go and read back in Leviticus about the two loaves that are to be baked, uh, baked during the Days of Unleavened Bread or that first Pentecost or Feast of Weeks, Feast of first fruits. And you can read about those two loaves. They have leaven in them. They're baked. 
the first fruits. They were made with ripe, ripe barley. It was ripe. So I'd ask you to go back and read. We can read in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 through 17. Actually, why don't we just go back there and take a look at this. Leviticus chapter 23. Read about these two loaves. Leviticus 23, verse 15. So this is about Pentecost. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering... So again, connected to that sheaf of wave offering, connected to Christ the first fruit, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves. So it's no longer a wave sheath. Now it's two wave loaves. So we are a couple loaves of bread, I guess. Wave loaves. Now these are different than that wave sheaf. The wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. Now the word first fruits here is from the word... Uh, let me see if I have the word here in my notes. Bikor. It's a different word than the first fruit for Christ. This word, bikor, this is the first fruit. It means first fruit ripe, more ripe crops. Hasty. It's the early, the early harvest, brethren. So it's different. It's part of that early harvest, but it's not that chief and pri- prime uh, one but it's definitely connected. So, brethren, what this is telling us is Pentecost connects us back to the resurrection, that we are going to be resurrected just as Christ was. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, And I looked and beheld a white cloud upon the cloud, one sat like unto the Son of Man, having his head a golden crown, and his hand a sharp sickle. I'll give you a second. Turn over to Revelation chapter 14. Beautiful truth here, brethren. Revelation 14, verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that said in the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. In other words, when Jesus returns, he is going to reap the rest of that first harvest. Those that are Christ's at his coming will be resurrected, brethren. It's a beautiful truth. So, brethren, I just went through a couple different aspects of Pentecost. I hope it was worth, um, I, hope, I hope it was interesting. For me, I think I see Two key things. One, Pentecost, Feast of First Fruits, or the Feast of Weeks, symbolizes when God dwells, dwells with his people. In the Old Testament, he came down physically on the mountain, gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, brethren, it's more intimate. 
He dwells with you. He came down into that church during that first Pentecost with all the miracles, the licking flames of fire on the, the disciples' heads when they received that Holy Spirit. And he said that his Spirit now will dwell inside of each and every one of us. That it points back to Jesus and the resurrection, that he is the first one that paved the way for this plan of salvation. That God didn't just tell us, he showed us. He showed us what was going to happen to us. For all the people that don't understand or will challenge to say that we're not going to be resurrected, brethren, God showed us the way. Jesus is the first. Like any great leader, he's not charging from behind. He's charging up that hill first. He says, follow me. He died for our sins, was resurrected, and then God the Father brought him up into heaven. As we read, he ascended into heaven. He's a spirit being, brethren. He can manifest himself in the physical. He can transform back and forth into the spiritual. He can disappear, appear. You can read all those miracles. That's what's going to happen to us. This day, this week, this Pentecost weekend and Pentecost symbolizes, brethren, that God's Spirit is dwelling in us and it's that Spirit that Christ is going to recognize when he comes back. And it's the Spirit that's going to give us the power to be transformed into the same essence, the same spiritual essence and body that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is now transformed into. It's a beautiful, wonderful uh, truth, brethren, I hope you meditate on it and appreciate and understand the great power that God gives each and every one of us and the great intimacy that God now has as he dwells with each and every one of you.